Welcome inside the coaches room, the number one podcast for football coaches that want to develop. Every week we talk to elite coaches and backroom staff to hear about their experiences, how they develop and how they develop their players. You know, I think if you're only practical and you haven't got that theoretical understanding of, you know, why do you do what you do? Um, and what underpins, what's the science that underpins, you know, that you practice? I think there's a danger there. Every player has their own adaptable, unique movement solution. If you look at any player, they're all different. Ronaldo has a different style to Mbappe, different to Virgil van Dijk, different to... So if we know that, and you you said it earlier, you know, if it's reference to height, my physical profile as an adult is different to yours. We're different. In this episode, we talk to Gerard Jones. He's sitting in his home office, so at one point you hear his lovely daughter sharing her opinion from across the other room. Gerard calls himself Pracademic, somebody that knows both the practical side as well as the academic research in football. We discussed his PhD that he's doing now on developing adaptable players. And we discussed how players learn and how coaches affect this process, maybe both in the good way and in the bad way. Gerard is going to share more insights on creating and developing adaptable players in the webinar on the 28th of February. In this webinar, Gerard will show you more about how players make decisions, how to use the right feedback to guide players, and how to design sessions that develop adaptable players. We will put the link to this webinar in the show notes. Enjoy this episode with Gerard Jones. Pracademic is what it says. Pracademic, yeah. What does it mean? It's a good it's a good phrase because I think then when you talk about academia, that you know, the role of the coach is changing. And certainly what we're seeing now more than ever before is that the the coach has evolved into someone who's got incredible experiences for sure, but has got an academic background. So perhaps they're a qualified teacher, they've they've got a master's degree, they've got a, a PhD, a doctorate in some sort of field of expertise. Um, or at least the the they're quite studious. So even though typically, you know, most coaches will go through a uh, coach education pathway that will be, you know, UA for B, UA for A, maybe UA for Pro for Lucky or whatever. Um, typically, I would say a pracademic is somebody that's got the background of both. They've got the academic ex- uh, knowledge and theoretical understanding, but they've got the practical experiences that they can, and they know how to apply the theory into practice. Um, so, you know, they've, they've got a foot probably in both camps. And I think it's an unfair advantage to some degree because, you know, I think if you're only practical and you haven't got that theoretical understanding of, you know, why do you do what you do um, and what underpins, what's the science that underpins, you know, that you practice, I think there's a danger there. Um, certainly being an academic will, will will allow you to think critically for sure, right? Um, but equally, if you go the other extreme, you know, often a lot of academics, they're not, they don't know how to apply it in the real world or yeah. they'll use overly complex terminologies, jargon, and you'll often get a bit of resistance in football because some people go, ah, oh, it's not football, you know. So, uh, yeah, pracademic is somebody that's got a bit of both. They've got the practical and the academic, so they're a pracademic. Okay, and how do you move, let's say, between two worlds, these two worlds? Yeah, well, I try and make sure that, Again, for me, coaching is a is an art that's underpinned by science. You know, there's some things that are just not quantifiable. Um, I think, obviously, because of the the dynamic and nuanced nature that is that is coaching. You know, it's a relationship business. It's it's forever changing. You're dealing with people. You're dealing with humans, right? Um, I think it's so important that we've got to build a relationship with other people. But when we're we're sharing information, the, the clarity and the message is really key. So that's how I move in between the two worlds is that, again, I said it at the start of that sentence of coaching is an art that's underpinned by science. I'll have my theoretical background and I'll have certain things that I know based on the science or I'll have a, um, 
higher level understanding of what what needs to be applied when and where but i can draw from my own practical experiences as well as my my instincts you know my smell what i smell what i feel yeah. in the moment because you know it is intuitive you know you have to rely on what you feel in, uh, in certain moments yeah okay well interesting yeah i think you've seen i think you're completely right especially lately you see a lot of young coaches in the pro academies that know almost any theory out there they choose within football a specific theory that they specialize in they make it their own they they use it and they they gain more knowledge on that specific item i think that this and you are an example of that as well um but you also have this coach education background where it also comes together as well which not everybody has uh, but i think that's something that is un unique about you you also teach yeah yeah Well, I think I think a lot of coaches now that you see more and more specialists, aren't you? Yeah. And people are becoming really studious. I mean, one of the biggest reasons why I went and studied my masters and coach education, you know, I never I never aspired to be a coach developer, but I ended up gravitating into it probably because of you know the skills that I acquired and developed. Um, and I think probably one of the the biggest advantages I'd say to people is. You know, be really curious about what you see and where you. Sorry, if you can see here. Yeah, you, are, you are in your home office, and uh, yeah. well, you have some young ones running around, right? Yeah, three-year-old and a one-year-old. <laughs> well, we've all been there when you have three-year-olds. Sometimes exactly, exactly. Sometimes. Um, yeah. But I think you know, like I'm seeing so many coaches now share study visits that they're doing off their own bat. You know, where they've looked into one v one jewels, or they've looked into set pieces, or they've looked into. Um, postural orientation or, or scanning or whatever it is, but they've not necessarily got a degree for it. And that was something for me. I, I'm constantly searching more and more about ideas around use of feedback. I've always been passionate about communication and practice design and how to develop uh, players that can become these adaptable performers, these self-learners, these, these problem solvers, whilst tapping into the perception of what the player's seen. So where they look in, where they're searching for information, to come up with their own adaptable movement solution. And what I did... Why, why did it trigger you? Why that specific part? It, because because it's the game. But this is, what you, this is what you take. Yeah, because it's... For me, because it's the game, because we know that over 85% of the decisions that players make is with their eyes. Uh, w w the information that players receive whilst playing the game is through their eyes, over 85%. Players... Uh, making decisions based on time, space, and number variations. And obviously, you know, there's more awareness around scanning and the importance of that, but and we'll go into that in a bit more detail now. So I was thinking, well, you know, a dominant coaching behavior alongside that is feedback and when we're communicating to players. So there's, a, there's a, an area there where we can impose our bias or our answer to the player that can limit what they see in the environment. The practice designs that we design, how do we tap into and develop players to, to search? But then certain practices will be restricted where they're not having to look for any information. You know, a cone doesn't move. So there's no actual information that's coming from a cone or a metal mannequin. You know, often a lot of coaching designs are, are focused around like patterns and things like that. Um, so that's why I was curious. And then, you know, to answer that as well, finishing off, I didn't want to just go down that road and come up with loads of great ideas like you do and we just and we coach but not have anything per se to show for it. So I wanted to try and do a study where I'm really passionate about this. I want to be an expert in it. And if I can do it as part of a PhD or a master's, which I've obviously done, I'm a, my, I'm a qualified teacher as well, um, I'll have a qualification after it. I'll be recognized as a particular leading thinker or expert in that field. Um, and I can build a career off of it. So I've got PhD and I've got the experiences, and that's why I'm on my PhD journey now. And, yeah, so I've got the best of both worlds. Rather yeah. than just do something and then 10 years down the line, go, you know what, that would have been a great PhD study. And maybe someone else got there first. Yeah. You know, and yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that was some of the motivations. But When, when, you know, would, when did you realize maybe yourself when you were on the pitch, okay, these these – Maybe it was, okay, this is the way we do it, which is a very dangerous way of thinking. But, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, this is the way I've always done it, but this is not the way to do it. This is not optimal for players. When was the moment, okay, we need to give them more freedom so they can 
create their own feedback, that they can create their own solution. When did you realize, okay, I need to change my own direction in this as well? Well, I've always actually thought that way, believe it or not. Um, obviously, it'll have evolved and got better with the mentors that I've had exposure to. I think I learned in reverse because I played for um, a club and I came through a coach education pathway that was very much freeze, tell the players what to do, move them here, you're physically dragging them, you know. Yeah. Um, I remember doing my level one, there was this game called Hot Potato. And I remember being 16 years old thinking, This can't be any further. Whoever came up with that idea is crazy. It used to be a game where basically uh, treat the ball as a hot potato, um, or like a, it was almost like a grenade. So you throw the ball, oh, oh I don't want it, you have it. Oh, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. Like, that is criminal because you're teaching kids to get rid of the ball. Yeah. So there was no surprise that when you used to look at teams in England, they used to just get it and go, boof, you know, and direct, you know, Charles Hughes, three passes or less, let's get the ball in the opponent's half. So, And I came through that education and that education of like stuck in the mud and, you know, you're trying to run around and get people's balls and smash them out of play. Or being a youth team player. I was a youth team player. Chris Wilder was actually the first team coach. And I was a youth team player uh, for Halifax Towns, under eight, under 19s, under 18s. And the coach would be freeze and it'd be negative and it'd be, it'd be, and you had a fear of failure. You feared making mistakes or trying things. So as a player, like, it would crumble me. So when I ended up going into coaching, I probably went from that extreme to the complete opposite, which was enthusiastic, um, praise the effort, not just praising the talent, but recognize good try, what can we do differently here, and trying to see learning as like a, a journey with the player. And probably because as well, I never played at a, a top, top, top level. I think that was an advantage because... Um, often if I didn't know the answer, it was okay. Like it'd be, let's, let's figure this out together. I learned a lot for observing and I would set challenges to players and I probably learned by accident more than by design. It will have been by design as you get more knowledge and you go on more courses and you meet more people. But in the interim, it was by accident for sure, where I was just going, actually, this is working. Like yeah. I've, I've just set, I've just set you a challenge now and go, all right, show me different ways that you can, um, beat a player with a pass or a dribble, try this or And players would do it. And I'd go, wow, they've just come up with something that I wouldn't have thought of. Whereas if I'd have done what I'd, I was taught, which was, you know, you see you make a mistake, correct that. So it's typically error correction, right? Um, I would always be like this, because most coaches are, they're ready to stop the practice and yeah. tell them all the knowledge they've got. And like, they see the player as this empty vessel that needs to be filled. Yeah. And I would often be like, I'm not sure that doesn't really sit well with me. And then obviously the more you learn, you're thinking, well, let's just see what the player does. And the player does something that you've never seen before. And you're thinking, well, that's great. You know, but if I'd have showed it my demonstration of what that solution should have been in that moment, I've potentially killed creativity and exploration and, and experimentation. Um, so yeah, hopefully that answers the question. Oh, but for sure. And it's so recognizable because in the UEFA C and especially UEFA B course that I did as well, you are judged on the stop moments. So the moments that yeah. you stop the session and how do you interact and what can you do to influence that specific millisecond of a moment. Uh, yeah. And then you have to step in and you have to shout stop. And it's exactly what they teach you. And we've all been there. If you do it three times, the players will be, here he goes again. They, yeah. you see body language dropping and they, yeah. are we going to have this type of session again, yeah. which is so annoying. And when they, when you do like a possession play and you just let it go, they're having the most fun in the world and the intensity is 10 times higher. And I've, yeah, well, you, you, you got me thinking here. I was a coach like that as well. And I had this pattern type of plays. This is the way I want to do it. And if, The number four has the ball. You have to run up to him like this and stop yeah. it wrong and blah, blah, blah. And then you were coaching one player and the other 15 were just watching. Okay, what the fuck is he doing? Yeah, yeah. what's happening there? Yeah. No, it's, I completely agree. And what you see a shift now that I have, we, I think we all have to admit that as well. It is how it's what was taught 10 years ago. Yeah. And, well, I haven't been on a course for a while, so I don't know exactly how it is now, but at least in... Let's say the practical side, you see a lot of coaches that doing much more implicit things, 
are much more creative, just letting it flow and just being, let's say, the encourager from the side instead of, stop, okay? Yeah. It, the narrative of coaching is changing completely. I think there's a, I think there's definitely been a paradigm shift towards rather than going purely around like explicit learning, as you just said there, implicit learning. Um, I think there still is a place for some of the maybe more like traditional coaching. Sure. You know, I think there's a danger of dualisms. And, and what we don't want to say is this is good and this is bad. Because as me and you both know, like there's a sweet spot somewhere, somewhere, you know, and, and it all depends, you know, coaching depends. I think for anyone listening, it's understanding that what are the trade-offs? If you only do that, what are the limitations of that? If you only do this, what are the limitations of this? Yeah. And that's where my PhD evolved into. You know, we've created models where, and based on the research that we're still doing and have done, where we've looked at, you know, coaching in like abstract, if you like, and and reaction, um, where coaches are traditionally, you know, giving too much information, explicit rules, which we know breaks down under pressure. He set patterns, but the problem is, is if they go in a game, that doesn't happen. What do they do? Yeah. And the players develop this dependency to the coach, you know, and if they see a yeah. problem... And once it doesn't happen, they look to the side, okay, what do we have to do now? Exactly, exactly. But then equally, too much exploration can be bad as well because if you give them too much to think, think about and, and see, that can be quite difficult for them to, you know, optimally grip onto, yeah. well, what, 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 do I, what does it make sense? But then equally, sometimes playing in confusion can be an advantage as well because you're experimenting. And you let, so for coaches, just understanding what player needs what, when, where, and why, you know, and it's not that you can't give direct instruction because sometimes you may need to short-circuit that decision-making process, if you like, and give them an answer. But then my question to the coach would then be, how can you know that they've understood? So feedback given isn't necessarily feedback received and understood. So how do you check for understanding? Can the player be in control of how and when they receive feedback and the frequency of it and things like that? Um, and also just tap into the, what the player's seen. Or are you always imposing your perception? Yeah. And if you do give them an answer, how can you lead next with a question? So then you, you're allowing them to connect dots and explore yeah. um, versus always giving them an answer. You know, Try and give them a problem to solve because the game's based on problems. You know, and they have to make, they have to be adaptable. They have to solve problems throughout the whole 90 minutes beyond. Um, and we can't play the game for them. So if we can develop these more adaptable players, sure, it's a good thing. Um, I think coach education's getting better. You know, the UEFA has just revamped a lot of the licenses, but like anything, you know, there's still more stuff that we can do better and still got a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. So you're talking about this PhD. <clears throat> can you? Explain a little bit how this research looks like and literally what, what you're doing in your PhD because it's interesting to hear more from an academic side how you approach this as well. Yeah, so obviously my PhD is looking at the use of, in simple terms, the use of feedback and how coaches use feedback to guide the attentional search of a player. Okay. So where they look. Um, and there's different types. Typically coaches will give... If we look at augmented information as information that's given external, coaches will tend to plan their training loads and, and they might go, right, I'm going to do my interventions during the breaks and we're working for this many minutes, this intensity, this is the rest and recovery and I'll, I'll give feedback in, the, in those, I won't stop the game. Or sometimes coaches will go, no, I'm going to stop during the practice or I'll, I'll do drive-by coaching or I'll do whatever. Um, so obviously we know that. But the limitations with that is that it tends to be quite prescriptive. And the theory and the, the, theory and the research that I'm doing in my PhD is, is looking at how can coaches use feedback that rather than giving it concurrently, which is during action, or terminally, which is after action, could be in the breaks, could be immediately after he's made that pass, yeah. you give him feedback or whatever it is. And it can be verbal, it can be haptic, it can be visual. Um Rather than doing it that concurrently or terminally, how can you give feedback transitionally where you're not telling them what to do, where to look, or how to move, but you're simply guiding the player so that they can then look, search for information from the environment and come up with their own solution in the next scenario? 
So it's preparing and it's transitionally preparing for that next instance. Can you give an example? An example could be, um, well, let's say like I set a challenge, I'm giving clues, I'm giving challenges to a player where it might be, how can your, your pass or your dribble eliminate two or more defenders? Now, I've, I've been quite – sometimes, and that's okay, I can narrow my focus. So I've said pass or dribble. I might have been – I could be more open. I could say, how can your action – you know, and then they decide. But yeah. what I'm doing is I'm, I'm setting them a problem. They've got to then show me. And it, I'm not always looking for a verbal response. So then they might go, oh, wow, there's a great opening there. But I'm going to break the line. I'll split two defenders there with one pass. Or actually, I can play a little disguise – pass to the outside of my foot and I can clip it or I can ozole it or I can... So they'll come up with the solutions or it might be that I'll put certain constraints on the practice. So whether it's with around how they can solve the problem. So, for example, we're in a possession game. It could be a, a positional possession. It could be a directional small side game. It could be anything. You're on one touch or four plus. If you take two touches or th- let's say two touches or three... It's an automatic three kick to the opposition. Yeah. So the, the players know. So if you play the pass to me, I've got to recognise, can I play that first time? Bump, and I'll pop it off and you'll see the ball going. I've done this with top-level players and grassroots players. If they take a touch and they probably could have played it first time, it then helps them rec- reflect and go, actually, I could have... Re-. So now they're forced in a decision where they have to dribble yeah. or they have to stay on the ball and they have to manipulate. And that's okay as well because then it creates those jewels, those 1v1s, 1v2s. So then now, how do they get out of trouble? And what you're doing, and there might be times where they'll decide they may have to take a touch because they can't, maybe it's come at an awkward pass or it's bounced. Or it's, so they've got to control it. So how do they control the ball and the space they want to move into? So now you're getting them to play in the future. So in order to put that constraint on them, they have to look and go, Tom's available. I can play into Tom now. Or I can't, or you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to drive on the ball. Or I'm going to step in, or I'm going to actually, I'm going to manage the tempo. We'll go in one touch, one touch, one touch. Now I'm going to slow it down, and drag people, and then we play. Yeah. So now, then you can take the, the, the constraints off. No, no, no limitations, show me. And again, players will then show you different variations of how they can solve that problem. What you'll notice, even in the two examples there, and if we go back to... How can your pass eliminate two or more defenders? I'm not saying to them, now I've dictated it could be a pass. In the other one, I might say an action or a dribble. But I've not told them how to do it. They can decide, you know what, I can play around the block. I can play through. I can play over. I can use a chip. So You're also not saying when they can decide their own on their own. Exactly, exactly. So at any point in the session, they might not break the line until right later on. And that was the right moment. It's come off once in the practice, but it's fine. Yeah. They've recognised, I can actually, the defence in a tight low block, I can play into my number 10, he's turned and got on the back foot and scored. Brilliant, well done. So it's about getting, using and phrasing the language, linked to your vocab. So if you club vocabs, breaking lines, yeah, sure. counter-pressing, pressing, whatever it is, how you structure that sentence so that the player understands, but equally you're not imposing your perception. They have to then search scan whatever word we want to use look for information and they make the decision in the moment so it, it, it prepares them for that next action and the beauty- so this, is, this is very clear so well, yeah. this, so this is a way to influence their decision making you're not pushing anything on them they can choose whatever they can do whatever they want but now let's go a little bit more to that academic side how do you measure then that this is a successful way of influencing your players? Because then you have to kind of find a quality research or a discussion with the player or measure it with video. How do you measure yeah. this? Well, there's different ways. I mean, a lot of the studies we've got in the pipeline, we've done semi-structured interviews, which is great because, you know, it can it allows an organic conversation. You've got your script of questions you might ask yeah. a player or a coach certain questions linked to what you want to find out. But it's semi-structured in that, based on the answers, you can go off in different directions if you if you need to. Um, doing things around like thematic analysis, so seeing if certain themes may pop up based on answers or even observations, using video, you know, putting 
uh, eye tracking goggles on players, so you're seeing where they're looking. Yeah. But again, you know, people listening, you've got to be careful with that as well because we know players make decisions based on time, space, and numbers. We, you know, you have to perceive in order to act, and you have to act in order to perceive. That's James Gibson. But in that, where you look doesn't necessarily mean where you're attending to. So they might pick up that the tracker's looked at the hips or wherever, but that doesn't mean that he's not getting information or her from, from you know, outside the periphery or whatever. Um, I and, think, you know, well, but, is it maybe it's strange, very strange, but it pops into my head. I recently saw this, like, this clip of Guti that is dribbling parallel to the 16-yard and he back heels it into a player that nobody's have seen, but he already saw it. Yeah, yeah. What you mean? So where he's looking is not what he's perceiving, probably. But okay, this exactly. is the most elite uh, uh, example ever. But okay, I think everybody has an has an idea with it. Exactly, exactly. And and also like we would do, I putting goggles on coaches. You know, I quite like that. But to see where do the coaches look, um, doing observations where you're going in situ, so you you you're evaluating session intentions versus what actually happened. Yeah. Um, and also the practice design because certain designs of practices will limit how well players can search for information from the environment based on the design and, and the, the constraints and conditions. So we would be able to evaluate that and then the type of feedback coaches use. So if they use feedback that's focusing on the mechanics of a skill, which is how me and you will have come through Coach Ed, you know, very technical, yeah. technical detail, corrective information. But the danger with that is that it, it it leads to a, what's called an internal focus of attention. So players will look at the mechanics. They're not looking for based on the problem in the environment and coming up with their own solution. So, so it's the language of how you can get them to look externally, look search rather than focus on the mechanics of the skill. Um, and we'll be able to measure that. We'll be able to listen, look at the phrases and, and then see how that's impacted the player. Um, It's interesting. I'm using decision making, and you are because that's a that's a term that listeners in coaching and football will relate to. But with academic, if you, it depends on what I guess uh, theory or paradigm you're coming from, you know, from ecological dynamics and uh, sort of ecological psychology, nonlinear pedagogy, they would talk less about decision making because that implies like a top down approach of li yeah. linear thinking. Um, they would talk more about this like optimal grip that that uh, players are searching for information they're identifying and gripping onto versus like information processing, which is would see learning and performance as linear. Um, I think, you know, if we put this in simple terms, because not everyone might understand is, I think it's so important that coaches see learning and performance as non-linear because they're going to go through periods of accelerated improvement and periods of, you know, the regression, yeah. as you and I both know, in performance as well. Um, and, and we've got to understand that where is that player at in that journey? What's affecting them? You know, the context. Is it physiological changes? Is it body? Is it injuries? Is it, what is it? Psychosocial stuff. And then obviously, how do you individualize your approach to tap into the player? So everything we do and a lot of the research I'm trying to publish is around this individualized approach. So we really, really are focused on their individual wants and needs. Okay. Yeah. Pretty clear. I think it's what you're saying is very interesting and everybody can take it to their, let's say on practical situation that we tend to see, no, we tend to judge the outcome if on, on what a player learned. So maybe we, we you can even think it, in patterns or whatever, or what outcomes or technical skills. Okay, we're going to learn you this. And if you can do it, then you have developed. But the development process is not the outcome. It takes maybe a lot more time to get the right outcome, but they are already learning. Exactly, exactly. Well, you just nailed it. I mean, how we're assuming that learnings took place, but how do we know? <clears throat> and if we do things based on that, that short-term model, if you like, Where we're, and that's often why coaches prefer, I believe, to design practices that are decontextualized from a game, because the because with a game, what you'll it's chaos. So play if it's a proper game and it's organized and it's reality based, players will be moving quickly. So often for the for the coach or even the untrained eye, it's difficult to see what they want to see. 
they'll often prefer to design these isolated practices or these like small group stuff because it's like I can control it in a drill. I can see you and you're moving at a speed that it's fa- it's not too fast. Yeah. It's slow enough that I can. But you're doing yourself a favor instead of the player. Exactly, and they then they can give all the information rich to the player and go all right, figure it out, and then we'll progress into a more game-like activity and you're expected to be able to transfer that. But we know that that isn't the case because it doesn't look like the game. And players are then having to relearn um, what to do. You know, so it's more important that we create environments that are representative of their game, not just the game, but actually their game. So what's their individuality? What's their identity as a player? But also when I say their game, it's how old are they? Yeah. Are, they, are they playing 77, 8v8, 5v5, 9v9, 11v8? What are they playing? Because, you know, you made reference to a top level. We can all do that. We do that. Chelsea, Man City, whoever. Real Madrid, doesn't matter. But that doesn't necessarily relate to their game. That's the adult game. Yeah. So it's so important for coaches to think, what does their game look like at their level? Design stuff around that and, and then try to be really good at being purposeful in your observation to give the feedback necessary where needed that enhances that player's problem-solving skills. If I think of this right now, while you're saying this, sorry, we are talking, let's say we're talking about 11-year-olds. They are half a meter shorter than us, so they already (laughs) see things completely different, and we are from the outside, and they are right in the middle, and we're like, why didn't you see it? Okay, an 11-year-old... He's not even putting the connecting the dots between three players, and he's half a meter shorter. So he's looking against. He does. He doesn't have an overview. It's good to realize that that you approach it completely different, and not only going down to your knees won't solve all the problems. It's no. looking into their perspective and context. I love that. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. But then, how do you look? Because that's a little bit maybe of a counter approach that you have uh, a lot of individual coaches at this point and they're working individually with players much more on skills it's maybe more skills oriented the first touch uh, turning fast fast moves do you think that is additional or is still effective or would you only say no i would go mainly for let's say realistic games for that specific group or whatever no because i, I think it's a great question because you've opened up this debate that's often a lot on social media around like technique and skill. What do we mean by both um, or practices like this and technical stuff and then more game stuff? Or in, I would actually say you can work on all, you know, like I'll work on first touch, I'll work on dribbling, ball mastery, um, the ability to manipulate your body to protect the ball, whatever it may be. Because um, for me, technique is a decision that's it's a solution that's applied based on the information from the environment. So I try not to muddy the water because I think if if we if we isolate this is just my own perspective yeah. if we isolate like technique and then skill, well that's no good. I can have the best form in the world unopposed, and I, I could look like a gymnast, but if I can't put it into a game, how many players do we see like that? They're great at oh, clipping the ball from here yeah, and yeah. hit the ball over there. Great. Well, you see it when a lot now. Game, everyone's closing you down. You yeah. know. Yeah, no, but you see it a lot now that, by the way, maybe you can move a little bit closer to the screen and your sound is a little bit better. But um, that you see on Instagram, you have these crazy, well, they look pretty cool. They have these nets in the goal with four corners and you see these players turning and think, well, well this this guy can really play. But then yeah. you put them into a context with a, yeah. with a proper defender just going to kill him. Uh, but for example, no, it's that, true. It's, then it's completely different. But completely different, yeah. And yeah, that's why for me I would design those games. I would actually but again, it's not let's put them into a Lemby eleven or ABL or something that's really complex. You can still layer stuff, can't you? And you can intertwine stuff, but yeah. I would put them in games or activities that where there's even if it is let's say unopposed, if there's no defender, but there's some sort of contextual interference. So even if it's working on uh Passing, receiving, but knowing the way to pass them. You could have players playing in and out of each other without bumping into each other. Yeah. And their objective is to try and find ways to play in between. So you've got 
groups of threes or whatever the numbers are, they could be all interchanging. Or it could be that you're in a game and you're in a 2v2 or 3v3 or a 1v2 or a... But again, there's a there's a, there's certain rules of the practice, but you're allowing them to solve that little miniature problem. Um, that's how I would develop those. So for me, it's the same. It's it's a movement solution. And, and I'm a big believer in this, that every player has their own adaptable, unique movement solution. If you look at any player, they're all different. Ronaldo has a different style to Mbappe, different to Virgil van Dijk, different to... So if we know that, and you, you said it earlier, you know, if, if it's reference to height, my physical profile as an adult is different to yours. We're different. So for me to demonstrate potentially something to you, the correct model solution to copy would be wrong for you anyway, because I'm, I'm five foot nine and I'm chunky. You know, if I'm then dealing with someone who's built like Lukaku, it's not the same. So, you know, it's more important that we get them to become better at understanding how to move in their own bodies. What does their style look like? And get them, by giving them a problem to solve, let them figure it out. But do it in those those contexts that we're not steering too far away from a game. Because if it's too far away from the game, we're not preparing them for that game. That's That's the reality. They're going to go into a game and still really not know what to do. And then they're always going to look to the bench for the answer. And that's where, for me, I think we've got to be better as coaches. If we if we say we want players that think for themselves, self-learners, adaptable, then we've got to do it. Yeah, well, I completely agree. And there are two things that I'm hearing. One is, okay, if you have different type of players, and this is more, let's say, a little bit more implicit style, way of learning. Okay, just move as fast with the ball, right. beat your opponent is completely different and is maybe the right approach for a lot of players. Then instead of saying, okay, I want you on your toes and I want you to make a scissor and then beat him 1v1 on the right side. Right. Yeah, if you, if speed in that opinion of that kid or player is, okay, I'm going to turn pretty early, whatever, I'm going to do what I prefer and I'm going to beat him to the left because I've turned my back, whatever he does. Right. And that's his solution. And he's going to end up with the same result that you are looking for, but he's only going to do it in his own way. Yeah. And I think that's what we're looking for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but I would, like, even if you say, like, attacking. So I would say, like, even in attacking, if we talk about attacking principles or forward, has it, I would often go across these sort of five S's. So how does the player rely on these? Is it strength? Is it speed? You reference speed. Is it uh, skill? Their ability to just unlock something, do something creative. Yeah. Is it through surprise? So a bit of disguise and deception. Or is it through selection? So have they rec- they've got options and they can combine and and then it's understanding how do they solve that across those five S's. But that will look very different across each player. And certain players, they can't rely on strength because they're not physically strong. That isn't their profile. They're not going to pin a centre half or a, or use their body to to spin or whatever. And if they get close to a defender like a Virgil van Dijk, they'll struggle, potentially. So they might have to rely more on uh, surprise or speed. But if they're not quick, what are they relying on? They can't rely on strength, they can't rely on speed. So what are they relying on surprise? So then they might be that player who's quite intricate and looks for the selection, the combinations and drawing people in. If they haven't got that, what else? So then that's where, um, and that's another useful tool for coaches to look at is, What's the individuality of the player? Yeah, well, and now the challenge for the coaches comes because I think if we discuss this, we all know we don't we we not we shouldn't play with the PlayStation joystick. We should have them find their own. But once you are alongside that pitch and you see things <laughs> happening, that's when you have to bite your teeth and okay. Yeah. But and you especially in the beginning, if it's not very natural to you. You have to say to yourself, okay, every question, every mark, yeah, I have to look at what am I going to say or how am I going to going to say it? And it takes it takes a while, I think, for, for coaches to learn this. Completely agree. I think we're still developing it. I think every coach is different as well. Conte is very different to you know, whoever to you know, someone like myself or you or Klopp or so I think it's understanding your style. Um I think as well, I'll give you one thing which might be useful. I always remember years ago being on the Advanced Youth Award. This was back in 2014. 
And uh, Alex Inglethorpe at the time was doing the under-21s at Liverpool. He's obviously now academy director. Been at Tottenham, been at various clubs. Yeah. And Alex Inglethorpe said, before I say anything, this is in reference to a training or a game, like he said, like, by, he said, before I say anything, I always think, is this going to help or hinder? And to me, that has stuck with me since 2014. I just think, wow, is that going to help? Because I think often we're not in a, we're not doing it in a bad place. We genuinely want to help. Yeah, but we could actually be hindering. Um, and it's and it's understanding how much information we're giving to that player now. Are we overloading them? Are we not? Is it going to help or is it going to hinder? You know, so that's or, a great one. Or, for or are we saying it because we are the coach and we think we need to say something and maybe we need to make yeah. some sounds just to get some frustration out or whatever. But yeah, yeah. Some things are also, okay, maybe sometimes it's even showing other people that I am the coach. So it means that this went wrong. So I have to say something because that's what yeah. everybody expects from me. Yeah. Whether it's the fans or the board of directors yeah, or yeah. chairman or yeah, yeah, yeah. parents or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that's, 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 I think the next step Okay, in this case, it is um, creating adaptable plays, and, and you are, you're looking into which style of coaching, which type of sessions work the best. So that's step number one. There are loads of other theories out there that also work very well, maybe on a different subject. But then the step is, okay, but how do I use it? And am I able to do it? Because we can know it all. We can be this academic, but how do we put it into practice? Yeah, and that's why pracademic is so key. You've got to be able to transfer it. You can't just have the theory and not know how to do it. And I would be saying, you know, reflect on the design of your practices. How, what are the session intentions? Um, focus around. What What are you putting a premium value on? So if you're planning that session, what are you really wanting to see and putting a value on? Do the players know that? How individualised is it? So, you know, because for players... I have this 4C approach within my that guides my coaching. So it's choices, competition, challenge, and clarity. There's got to be decision-make, problems to solve, consequences. Obviously, there's individual challenges or team. Competition, because that's the game. You know, you want it to be fun. You want it to be motivating, intensity, so on. How you create competition with individuals as well as the widest perspective. But the last one is the clarity. You know, what, what's the relevance to me and why? That's what the player's asking. So I think when you, how do you do it? Well, it's then thinking, well, what's the relevance for these individuals? How is it individualized? Who's getting what out of today? Um, and how can I help who with what? And then that should hopefully guide and think about the type of questions that you'll ask, your guided questions, all the type of feedback that you're looking to to do. And I think when people are planning, they should also think about what does great look like? What does good look like? What does bad look like? What does unacceptable look like? So they at least have some clear understanding of what those things might be. Um, but don't be wedded to the plan because we know that that changes. Yeah. You know, you have to coach what's in front of you and be adaptable yourself. If we're saying we want these adaptable players, that's not to say that you're going off on tangents, but, you know, there is a, it's okay you know, you don't have to get everything that you've, all your objectives achieved in that session. It can be a journey. And that's how I would say people can think about it is that we're going on a journey with a player and the player is an individual project and seeing them as such. Yeah. Well, I completely agree. And then to push the next challenge on you, okay, then you have, let's see, oh, my phone is going off, sorry. And then you have uh, 15 individual projects in front of you. Then it becomes interesting how to manage all those 15 goals uh, because you have clear what you want for that player and you have clear what you have what you have installed for maybe other 14 players as well. But how do you keep the balance there? That's an interesting next step. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's no real short and simple answer to this other than you've got to, you've got to plan around what are their strengths as well as what are their areas for development? Because often I think we design practices that are always working on the, the weaknesses per se, the areas for development. But how often do we work on their strengths and turn their yeah. strengths into super strengths? I know some people do that, but I would say how well do you do it? Um, 
And is it that you're designing whether it's sort of informal learning opportunities within the practice, times where players can take themselves out of that session and do something else and come back? Is it a carousel? Is there um, IDP stuff, individual development, learning stuff that you can do before the session or at the end um, or in 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 addition to? Um, put simply as well, you know, me and you are working tonight. We've got 15 kids. You just gave me that example. We're co-coaching. I might be responsible for three players. You know, it could be five. It could be one. It depends yeah. on how good you are as a coach and what your limit is. I know mine's probably three. I could do more if I wanted to, but I prefer to laser three. So I can look at the the, the, the group, of course. I'm thinking, like, I'm going to stretch this individual, this individual, this individual. And I'll try and measure myself by that. You might be responsible for three. And within the practice, we've got different responsibilities as well. So let's say you're leading the, 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 the group sessions, the organisation, the transitions – but I'm focused on specific individuals. And you can also touch on a couple. By the end of that practice, everyone's got something, whether it was by design or by accident, based on the activities that they've been involved in and the interactions. At least six, hopefully, have had some individualised stuff from us as well, in, in addition to. But we're, we're then ensuring that some players, because it's impossible to cover everybody, you know, and you don't have to. And sometimes facilitating is okay. But the fact that we're really conscious that we're going to ease a priority today, we need to get more out of him or her, and I'm going to work on this particular strength, I think that's how you do it. And then at the end, even being comfortable with asking the player, you know, what did you get out of today? What did you like most about the session? What did what what did you not like as much? How can I help you better? Get some, be vulnerable, you know, expose yourself to the players and, get that feedback and have conversations with them and they'll tell you, they'll be brutally honest and they'll say, well, actually, I like this. I didn't like that so much or I wasn't quite clear on what you wanted there. And it's a good reflective tool for us and I think that's how you can co-coach, get around the 15 players. You've planned for 15, but then you're looking at specifics as well and, yeah, um, hopefully there's some examples there. Well, no, it's pretty clear, but it it did touch upon and things good for everybody that you have to take different roles and you don't have to give everybody that individual attention every time. If you no. think that you have two or three sessions a week and you have, let's say in the lowest number, you have three individual players or three individual goals for each session and every, each five sessions, they will get that whole session specific attention. Uh, and they going to get something out of the other sessions anyway. So, then it's one in five, exactly. it's one in two weeks, which is fine. <laughs> so yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's important. And yeah. I, I think, well, do you think we just summarized the, we just gave a small preview on the webinar that we're going to do? Yeah, the, a lot. Obviously, the webinar we're going to do is going to be really exciting because it's a lot of the stuff that we've talked about today and we'll be able to expand upon. Effectively, the webinar is going to cover how can you design practices that develop adaptable, self-thinking footballers, problem solvers? How do you use feedback in a way that taps into the perception of the player? And and seeing learning as searching, practice as searching. Um, and, the, you know, there's some clear objectives here around, around that. And we're going to cover practical examples. There'll be theory in there. So they'll get a taste of what some of the theory is saying. Theory that's inspired me that made me want to look and go, oh, I've never seen that before. Let me find out more about that. And then how can you apply that into an actual football context and football setting? Okay, great. Yeah, so you gave us a small preview. And this is, these are really the goals that we're going to look into on the 28th. Yeah. And support, of course, with uh, with footage and, and your theories and slides. Et so it's it's you at your best, I think, uh, as an educator. <laughs> <editor. laughs> yeah, well, there'll be loads of footage. Is what you do. Yeah. This is what you do. Okay, well, yeah. a little bit more about you because we haven't touched upon you. Yeah, of course, what you do. Um, but besides being a pre-academic, how, how do you develop yourselves if you find the time? Um, I'm the same. Like Even doing things like this, I think, is, is still developing you because you, you, you're confirming what you know and you, you're testing yourself all the time, right, to stay ahead. Um, watching the game, but also, you know, 
I'll read a lot of books. I'll read a lot of papers. I'll yeah. I'll read a lot of journal articles. I'm constantly getting. I'm signed up to notifications. So whenever there's new research that's come out around VAR or around COVID or around whatever it may be relating to football practice design, you know how players are learning. You know referees. It could be anything. I'll get those notifications and I'll have a little glance. Yeah. Uh, I'll look over the abstract, and if there's something that I need to look more into, I'll look into it. So that's um, more that's scientific journals that you're that you're looking yeah. into. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, scientific journals, and then also, you know, reading books, reading things like that, listening to podcasts, um, having WhatsApp groups with some really key people. Like who who do you who do you surround yourself with? So yeah. you know, like I created one the other day. Uh, there's many that I'm on there, but there was one the other day where I did it with me. A coach is working in a professional club at Premier League level under 18s. Um, and there's also a guy who's a, an expert in coach development and learning, but he's got a background in rugby. Okay. And he's worked at international level. And he's an ex-professional rugby player in the Premiership. And he's been a head coach. Uh, worked, with players like Steve, uh, worked with people like Eddie Jones and people like that. Yeah. And there's another guy there who's come from completely a, a different world. So that we're football, us two over here, and he's rugby. Um, and the other guy is uh, canoeing, you know, and I'm excited to see how that evolves, that conversation, because I think there's so much we can learn from other sports. It doesn't always have to be invasion sports like football, basketball, and so on. It could be boxing. It could be. Yeah. Um, so that's how I'll do it. I'll tend to like look at other environments and take little things and go, oh, I'll have that and I'll adapt it to suit this. And I think they're little things that other people can do. Okay, good. You you tend you say you, you journalists journals you read, but books yeah. as well. What's the last book that you read, or what's the book that you're reading now? Uh, there's a few on the go. To be fair, uh, there's one here. This is like a self promotion. This is a self promotion for that. Not self promote promoting them. The best. Okay. By Mark Williams. How okay. elite uh, athletes are made. Oh. Um, high performance one. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. Um, I'm also rereading stuff from from before around like um, 64 shots uh, and how leaders are made, and so they're things that I'm listening to or reading uh, at the minute. Okay, and you find the time maybe in the evening or in the morning to to to, to sit down and uh, and uh, read some pages. Yeah, just 24 hours in a day. How you do that is up to you. Yeah. Isn't it? It's one of those, you know. Exactly. But, Everyone needs sleep for sure, especially when you got a two-year-old and a one-year-old. You're running on fumes, but um, you know, sleep fast. You're a guy from that has routines in that every morning, every evening, or something. Yeah, well, I try and have like I've got notifications that will remind me to try and do stuff. Whether it's I'm going on Babbel and I'm redoing stuff on my language, whether I'm sending messages to people in in French or in other languages, or. Um, Because, again, people think that they don't have time, but then you think they're sat at home watching Netflix, which is great. You can do that as well. But then you've probably wasted four hours, and you're yeah. like, oh, it's bedtime now. You know, so there's a, there's 24 hours in a day, and I think just it's how you use it, isn't it? And you're the same. I mean, it's working efficiently, isn't it, whether it's your work. At the minute, I'm juggling, obviously, coaching every day, uh, coach developing, mentoring, reading, being a dad, hopefully a good dad and um, doing my PhD alongside uh, running my own businesses or online platforms or whatever. So I think it's just how you juggle. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Yeah, we're a little bit of the same like that because you also have your platform that you're building on. Yeah. We're doing exactly the same. So yeah, that's yeah. that's an interesting part. And it's also like almost yeah going down the rabbit hole being an entrepreneur on the side. <laughs> yeah, it's not easy. Yeah, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's the most, I just said, rewarding struggle uh, as well. So, uh, yeah, that's a good thing as well. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, I, I actually have one last question before we end it, and then you can be the first one to end it within an hour. Or is there something that you still want to to add to keep to keep it a little bit to get it a little bit more closer to the hour? <laughs> no, it's. Um, I think everything's been covered really, and obviously. You know, I'm I'm really keen on joining the worlds of like what what does what does the research say, but actually what works in in everyday practice, and and making sure that you can adapt. And that was one of the reasons why you know I set up an online platform called You Learn Bleed, You Learn Beautifully, 
where where coaches can get a bit of both. Um, and it's similar to you, you know, with this platform, which is amazing. It's a great opportunity that coaches can get different types of information that just just sparks that curiosity, doesn't it? So, um, yeah, you know, and that's why I love doing this with you, and it's why we're here, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the sharing part is what what sparks me the most. You just meet so many interesting people, and everybody gives you new insights, like you did today, and and you can connect with everybody that you shouldn't, that you didn't connect with, or you didn't really had a reason to connect with. And now you have lights and you have an alibi to call or contact anybody. But hey, do you have any, something interesting to share with sure. the coaches that are out there? So even though if you're not, we're doing it from a platform side, but I can definitely recommend everybody just to tap into your phone or LinkedIn or network or whatever, and just see who's out there and who you can learn from. And because it's going to give you so much. And if that's, that's something I've learned from the last, let's say COVID two COVID years, if you haven't done that, then you're really sleeping. I have to be fair on that. If you haven't touched up on your network in the past two years, while the bars and restaurants are closed, yeah, then you've really been sleeping. I have to be honest about that. Yeah, I agree. No, I think yeah. you got to stay curious. You got to stay. Curious. Yeah, for sure. I might tell you a little story. Actually, um, you've just reminded me of something. So, obviously, COVID is is mad. It affects us all in different ways and the world. And I was doing a chat similar to this with one of my good friends, Russell Earnshaw, Rusty. And you know, the guy's amazing. And I remember him saying to me that he was in lockdown, and he sent a text to basically everyone in his phone. How can I help you today? And I can't remember if it was like at three o'clock in the morning or whatever it was in the morning. And um, he got a text back from Eddie Jones and he was on a Zoom with Eddie at like four, half, four, whatever, because Eddie goes in the gym always religiously at early hours in the morning. And, um, you know, and obviously Eddie's there, like, how can I help you? You know, how can you help me today? What can you? And they had a chat and some people will have replied and some didn't. I think the reason why that's interesting is because it just goes to show, like, you know, people could be going through different things, different battles or whatever. It could be anything, work-related or not. or But just being curious. I mean, this guy's got his phone. He's gone, let's have a, let's have a chat. But, and I just think that's incredible, you know. So there's, there's so much that we can do. Yeah. And you never know what the conversation will lead to. You know, that's the beauty of it. I agree. Yeah. Same way that you reached out to me and in the same way, and, uh, well, I I tend to use LinkedIn a lot. There's now four and a half thousand co- connections there, yeah. which eighty percent is football, and yeah. there's already some always somebody to connect with, and that maybe can bring some interesting, or we can help them with coaching content that we created. And if yeah, it's just investing time in your network. It's so important. Good, agree, agree. Okay, well, that's a good conclusion. Well. Uh, and now the last final question, then who maybe from your network should we talk to next? I would say there's a lot. There's a lot, really. Um, I would actually try, if you're interested, to try somebody like Russell, okay. you know, who's outside of football, because I, I don't think it always needs to be football people. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, so I think it's good to get other sports in because – Good thing with Rusty as well is he, he's he's worked in football. He's a consultant. He's done stuff for the FA. He's done stuff with Google, with England Hockey, with you name it. So he's got a good understanding. Um, also, you know, uh, going a bit out there, how many female people have you had? How many female guests? Well, we're working on you know, some coaches. We're working on the, the coach of the sporting women. Uh, oh, wow. A Danish, a Danish coach that just won the league there. So, we, yeah, there's, but we haven't had them on. So we should. So if you have a good... Good one. Please, please help me. Yeah, I would say even people like, um, I was talking to the other day, Rebecca, um, who's working at, uh, she does Watford Academy. She's doing a PhD. I'll send you her details. Sure. Um, sure. And she actually did a doctorate in investigating um, elite coach mentoring. Okay. Uh, basically, and how, how coaches learn. Yeah. So again, because I think there's another element there, isn't there, of representation? You know, how many... We always have these these guys on, but you know, how often do we do we get the females on as well? Yeah, the main argument I have there is everybody that's good needs to have the spot, and there are a lot of women yeah. that we are going to be impressed with. So I think that's the main reason to get the people out there and get them in the right positions. 
100%. Okay, so we have two good names, um, uh, and we'll uh, make sure you get the details one once we are uh, off air. Yeah, great. Uh, Love it. Uh, so far, uh, yeah, I want to thank you very much for sharing. I love the passion that you're that you're showing. <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to the 28th because I know we're going to have much more of an insight in 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 your story and in this specific part of your of your knowledge. Uh, so we're gonna we're, that's when we're gonna see the real pracademic, I think. Yeah, they we're go. gonna see the the pracademic coach education. So I'm 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 really looking forward to that. I can't wait. And thanks for seeing it up that way. It's gonna no pressure. No, it's gonna be low. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I like to put the pressure. No, no. <laughs> uh, exactly, exactly. No, it's I agree. It's it's gonna be interactive. They're not gonna be lectured. There's gonna be uh, group tasks. There's gonna be loads of videos, like you said, videos of games, videos of uh, coaching sessions, and it'll be interactive and it'll be good to see where the conversation goes. I mean, I'm a big organic, you know, so I like things that evolve and emerge, so let's go for it. Great, great. Well, we'll see you then. Thanks.